Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the next Tech Cat Show. And I'm so excited to uh, to bring a really exciting guest um, this week, um, an old friend who I haven't actually had a chance to speak to um, in a while. Um, and that is Eric Huberman, who has so many exciting things to share with us. But Eric has been a longtime guru in the marketing space, having created a unique business called Hawk Media, which is known as the Outsourced CMO, which is a really unique model, which I'm going to let him update us on. Um, but basically a really inventive way of thinking about marketing and media services for companies that maybe don't want to go the traditional route with a big agency of record relationship. But now, especially now in these unique times, um, the model that Eric um, is driving is more important than ever before. So let's have a big Tech Cat welcome for Eric Huberman, the outsourced CMO, ladies and gentlemen, on the Tech Cat Show. Eric, yay! Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, it has been a while since I since I've spoken to you, and yeah. and it's got to be like five or six years when we were doing the iMedia circuit and the ad tech yeah. circuit, and whenever I could, I brought you on stage because at the time um, you were just building your business. So give us an update on where you know the growth of Hawk Media, where you started, and where you are now, and then let's let's talk about what you're doing in this crazy time. Sure. So um, started, uh, yeah, it's been six and a half years. Uh, after selling a couple of e-com companies, hired a little SWAT team of people to help brands because I hated how agencies operated, but also knew that it was pretty hard to build a full, good, solid marketing team in-house. So built my own, started basically, you know, hiring them out to different companies and helping companies, you know, outsource their marketing, but within my own team. And through doing so, just saw that there was a massive need for this. And so in six and a half years, we've grown from seven to right now we're about 160 people coming out of this craziness. So we, wow. still, we didn't have to lay people off, but we definitely slowed hiring for a couple months to see what was going to happen. And now we're ramping back up again. Um, thankfully, we're... Which is so unique in, yeah. in the current, you, you know, you're the opposite of what everyone else is having to do. Yeah, I mean, we're thankfully, you know, it's funny in a weird way. My partner and I, we started again six and a half years ago. There hasn't been any type of economic hit or anything the entire time we've grown our business. And we would talk about, you know, the only thing that could really hurt us is like the whole world shutting down from like a world war or something because we're month to month and a la carte. And like that would give everybody the opportunity to just get scared and pull all their marketing. That's literally what should have happened in March and April. And we did lose some business, but it wasn't as devastating as it could have been. And so now that we've seen that, we realize that because of the flexibility, so everything we do is again, month to month, a la carte. And because of that flexibility, it also gave people confidence to stick it out while they saw what happened versus being hyper-reactive. Because you know our competitors and other agencies that I know of our size that have these long-term contracts, their customers day one, we're trying to figure out how to get out of them. And then they can always go rehire when they're ready. With us, it's like, you can fire us whenever you want. So like, if you're not struggling right now, why rip the why rip us out? And so right, that, right, right. And so they actually ended up being more of a benefit than we thought. And so we, you know, April is a slow month for sure. But then it, May, we recovered from it. And June has been one of the biggest months we've ever had as people open back up. And as we get 
caught up. And frankly, we had to pivot into a model like we had never been remote. We have offices in LA, New York, and Boston. So we had some systems in place for multiple offices, but we hadn't we didn't have a full remote workforce. And now we do. And so we are changing the way we operate. But the cool thing is our model means more than ever because right now with the uncertainty, people need the flexibility we provide. With, you know, frankly, the tightening up, we're cheaper than hiring in-house. We're, we, we are less expensive because we're fractional. And so we our model is now resonating more than it ever has. And so we're seeing the benefit of that. And and can you explain a little bit more about the model again, um, how, how people leverage you and also what, what they use you for? Because again, I came from a big agency holding company where you paid a big chunk of money and you were actually paying for the agency's overhead, really. Yeah. And you and you got contract work out of it, but you were really paying a lot more than just your work. Yeah. And so and, and that's for the big brands. And that was that old model, which just cannot survive in today's marketplace. Yeah. And especially if you're a young business trying to build, or even if you're a hot brand, you know, you can't do it. So how do you work with people? Yeah, we basically, you know, we have all sorts of different experts. Like we do believe in vertical marketing expertise, meaning a Facebook marketer should be a Facebook marketer. An email marketer needs to be an email marketer. So jack of all traits, master of none, we'd rather have master of a trait. So mm -hmm. uh, with that, we go into a business, We our first job, and we do this all for free, is we run an audit, look at everything they're doing, look at what their opportunities are, and then come back to them with like, based on your financials, based on your marketing strategy, based on your business, here are the things we think you need to be focusing on. And so we start there. and. We basically menu out here, you know, you should be doing again, Facebook ads, or we need to redo your website because your conversion rates are low or what we basically do a run and audit and then plug in whatever is needed. And then we do that on, on, on an ongoing basis. So we're doing quarterly business reviews on all the clients that we have. So we continue to reassess. And because of the nature of our business, moving things around works like it's okay if you want to turn off Facebook ads and put that into search and, you know, be super nimble with us which is really rare for an agency because you deal with the really big guys that have so much overhead that they can't afford to be that nimble. And then you deal with all the smaller agencies that they only sell Facebook ads. They're never going to tell you to cut off Facebook ads because then they just lose your business. For right. us, we're happy to move you around and how we compensate our people is actually months of retention of a client, not individual income. So we've been able to build out you know, strategies that are more about like the longevity of the business than it is about just getting some quick cash out of you as an agency. And and can you give us an example of some of your clients? Um, are you allowed to talk about you know the names of the clients? Some, I mean, we're approved. We get we end up doing about a case study a week where it's approved, so we can. Do, but we have about five hundred clients, so there's a lot of them. But you know, recently we launched. We we ran uh, Barstool Sports Marketing for four years. We just launched the case study on that. We helped launch their e-commerce. Um, we just launched a case study on uh, James Capital Advisors, which is a big real estate company. We uh, have Tamara Mellon, the shoe company. We've got Lorna Jane, the activewear, um, Red Bull, Verizon, HP, as well as a lot of, I'm naming some names, but we also, we start at two grand a month. So we have a lot of startups and early businesses too. And the idea there, like That's our good. mission is accessibility to great marketing. So it's about how do we, how are we the best at what we do? How can we be the best marketers out there and know, you know, and have the best relationships with the platforms, et cetera. We have full-time teams at Google, Facebook, et cetera. How can we be the best, but then accessible to everyone? Like, how can we do both? And that's something that we've really tried to focus on is let's be as good as a WPP or Omnicom, but give that skill set and that, you know, 
sort of clout give access to that to all the startups and companies that really need it. Uh, and what what's your favorite thing that you've learned while you've been doing this? Because you have been doing it a long a long time, and I know the business has changed a lot. Some things are don't change, like boycotting Facebook. That seems to happen <laughs> once a year or every other year. One of the I social media. Scared one of our competitors today. I'm like, you're pulling all your ads off Facebook, right? You're just cutting everything, and he's and they're only a Facebook agency and a big one. And I, they're yeah. like, what are you talking about? I'm like the boycott. Are you saying you're going against the boycott? I was just messing with them. Right, so right. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you're able to do that. You're able to to do. Yeah, I mean, like Facebook that. isn't a big, and we're we're weighing what we do there, to be honest, because you know the boycott. It's more symbolism than anything. It's not necessarily going to do much. Sadly, like the brands that have pulled out, like the Fortune 1000 brands and all the brands that are talking about pulling out, is like five percent of Facebook's revenue. Right. The little guys, and sadly. The little guys do more damage to themselves by doing that than they do to Facebook. So we're trying, we're, we're still feeling out how to handle that situation. You know, there's a lot of other things. And, and we're also talking to Facebook about like, hey, don't make us do this, but like start acting, do something about what they're saying. And right, they are, right. They are starting to act on it. And I'm also like the whole cancel culture going on right now. It's, you know, typical of a good cause. It swings a little too far. But there's a little bit too much of like the whole digging up things people said 20 years ago and getting angry at them about it, I think needs to calm down yeah um, yeah but but you know facebook they're making they're taking actions and i think even with taking action people are like yeah but screw you we're still gonna boycott you like that's not what it's about you're supposed to boycott to drive action when the action's taken that should end the boycott right right so right right they're now censoring which frankly that's a whole nother debate it's i'm not saying i'm on either side of it but like should we censor free speech should we not allow those people i, I obviously don't agree with hate speech at all but it, right. it, it's a slippery slope that you need to be very careful on. And I think right now there's a lot of grandstanding going on and I think in a lot of different categories. And I think that's what we have to be careful of. So, so if your business is in understanding all these platforms, how do you keep out of the fray of, of such a cultural moment, you know, where, where you do have to sort of take a stand? Yeah, you so we, stay we, we, out we, of the fray and just nope, wait till we, the dust. So, so what are you what are you doing? I took a very strong stance. Um, so mm -hmm. it depends which aspect you're talking on. But when it came to BLM, we took a very strong stance in support of it. We were like, you know, this is, you know, racism is a problem. And, it, you know, if you're we don't agree with some of the statements, some of the tactics, like I think there's a lot of nuance to the idea of defunding the police that needs yep. to be more articulated. But yep. I'm not anti-reform. I, I think that there is a problem in, in terms of there's a, my, a problem with the minority of police officers that has been allowed by the majority. That's also allowed by the district attorneys in these territories that needs to be addressed. Um, I think not being anti BLM is just being racist at this point. If you understand what the movement's about and we have a lot of people of color as employees that I frankly talk to all the time about like, Hey, how does this work? What should we know? Like explain to me what, what perspective I wouldn't have naturally. And so we, we took a strong stance there. I was interviewed by the New York Times and said, if you're not supporting this, you're racist. Like we, we went right for it because if someone wants to get angry at me over that, I'm fine with that. And so that, you know, similar, and I, I'm not comparing myself. I'm just saying it's kind of in the same extreme vein as Nike. Nike took a complete stance. They're a big company that you can do that and yeah. alienate some, some people, but I think it's okay. Like standing for something is okay. Now, again, with the whole Facebook thing, I, I'm I'm not a, I, I do agree with the sentiment, but I think that Facebook's making moves, and I don't think it's such an easy fix. And I think people are glazing over that.
And so I think just boycotting it, I'm not sure. I think Coca-Cola, Unilever, all these guys, they're not spending on Facebook much anyways right now. So for them, they're right. like, oh, we get to have PR and we can take our name on this? Yeah, fuck it. Let's just cut our little bit that we're still spending on Facebook because they don't need to right now. So for the brands that rely on Facebook, it's kind of an unfair position to put them in to say, cut your budgets on Facebook too. Like they could kill their business doing that. Right, right. If it's too important a channel for them. Um, right. But but then that's a large comment too on the power that Facebook yields. And Correct. is that good? No, no. Facebook no. absolutely needs to be looked at from a, a antitrust standpoint. Facebook, Google, Amazon all need to be looked at. There's a reason they're all massive well, trillion or close to trillion dollar companies is right. too much power. And that, that I agree with. I mean, that's getting talked about more and more. I think there is absolutely something to be discussed there. Because, I mean, Amazon owns 55% of digital purchases, e-commerce purchases now. That's insane. Right. One store. Right. You know, Walmart owns 5%, just to give a comparison. And that's the second biggest. So it's just, yeah, it's it's become a problem. Facebook, if you if Google, if you're not ranking on Google and not spending on Google ads, you're never going to compete. If you're not doing Amazon, you're not going to compete. Facebook, depending on your brand, same thing. So, like, there's not many alternatives and it, they're kind of boxed out. TikTok is kind of up and coming, but then there's all sorts of geopolitical stuff around that. So it's, yeah, it's a difficult landscape, but as a small, medium business and a lot of our clients, you do have to play the game unless that gets fixed by some outside party. Like that, great, it's not fair that they control it, but the truth is right now they do. So you're going to have to still spend there. And I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so do you have this discussion with a new client? Do you say, look, we're not happy about this, this, and this, but we do recommend you spend here? Or, you know, do you take that political stance when you're engaging a new client? Or do you let them, do you really just tell them from a business perspective, business. you need to put your money here? Yeah. we And mostly business with it coming up, like specifically now with the boycott of Facebook, when it's coming up, we tell them our opinion, which is, on a business level, this is what you have to worry about. This is what the analysis says. And by the way, again, back to our business model, I'll take your money from Facebook. We just did it with a client today. We took their money off Facebook, moved it to Google. My business doesn't suffer at all. So like, there's no, we don't care from that standpoint, from a bit, like we're not motivated. We don't have an ulterior motive is the idea. But for their business, I think that company's probably gonna suffer a little bit because Facebook is gonna drive, that mix is important. Just going on Google is not gonna be as beneficial. So those kind of things we have. And the thing is, it's a month. So that kind of a decision, I don't think will hurt. But there's companies that don't have the budgets to have those kind of mixes, that they're literally just cutting off their advertising for a month. That's going to be mm. devastating, especially coming out of, you know, Corona and everything that's happening. Like, that's not even coming out of it. But in the midst of it, that that this is not the time for a lot of small for big companies, they're, it's not going to do anything, they can put that money somewhere else, they're literally not going to notice. But for for a month, I mean, if we said, Unilever, you can't use Facebook for the rest of the year, that would be a, uh, they would backpedal. But for them to pull out for a month for Coca-Cola, for Patagonia, they're all going to be fine with a month of no Facebook ads because they've built a robust marketing mix. For a small business that that is their advertising channel, doesn't work the same. And so to ask that is tough. And there are people still taking a stance. And I, I do believe that's more of an emotional stance on their part than it is a practical because you know, I'm pulling my $5,000 spend off Facebook to make a stance. Nobody notices that except for you and maybe a few customers that may have seen right. it. Right. So it's not actually, right. Facebook doesn't notice. It's not making an impact there. So it's really, it's a principle thing. And if you want to run your business on principle, okay. And I, again, that's not a judgment. That's fine. Just know the decision you're making. And if you, but I also don't fault the people that aren't, that are like, 
my five grand isn't going to make a difference for Facebook, but it makes a difference me not spending there because I need to resuscitate or grow my business right now. When, when you mentioned that you have vertical marketing experts, when does the platform become big enough for you to dedicate a resource to understanding it? It's honestly, it's that's a monetary thing. So it's usually when we te we we have several people that are sort of special projects people that test new platforms constantly, and then when we see something's working and we onboard a few more clients, we'll usually then start building full time resources around it. So you know, TikTok and Snapchat. I don't think we have any full time yet, but I I honestly see TikTok being a really interesting platform, and would assume soon enough we do. And in the case of of a TikTok who. You know, there was just another article about spyware and um, that uh, Apple's OS, new OS had a security breach of which TikTok was taking advantage of. Yep. So w what about stuff like that? I mean, it's because it could happen on any platform. So are your people always aware of those issues too? 100%. And I think, you know, it's it, it'd be an interesting debate because it, it, it comes down to, you know, our job is to maximize the dollars of our clients to grow their businesses and get them the best ROI. Like that is a big part of our job. And you, you obviously want to never do that in a way that's like harming people, hurting people. But I'm not like when I, when we advertise on TikTok, it definitely funds TikTok, but all those users that are getting their data stolen, I didn't recruit those users. I'm not pushing them to use TikTok. I'm just monetizing them after the fact, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I'm not really contributing to people's data getting stolen. I'm, I am supporting the company that's doing it. So again, that's why I say there's a debate there for sure. But you know, I think that's where it's like, is it my responsibility? Similar with Facebook or Google, I'm not going to be able to throw antitrust law at them. That's that is, Hawk Media is Eric Huberman, not going to be a thing. And so I can take a principal stance and say we're not going to run ads on all the platforms that actually generate money for people, or we're going to play, you know, within the game that we're confined to right now, unless they make a change globally, which that's the nice thing about our business is like, we, we've already been through many shifts, like influencer marketing has completely declined. And that was a big part of our business for a long time. And now it's a small part. And like, that's fine. We go through those changes and we're ready for that, but we're still going to play the landscape to maximize the profitability of our clients and what they're looking and grow their businesses, which is what they're hiring us to do. And, and so if we look at trends, um, which is a good thing to do in a pandemic, because there's just big change. Um, influencer marketing is down. Um, why? Is that reflective of the pandemic? Is that no, reflective of BLM? That was, that was years ago. So what happened, frankly, it's very, pin, that, that one is very easy to pinpoint. Uh, when Fire Festival happened and everyone got scammed, the FTC cracked down and said, now influencers have to disclose that they're being paid. And basically overnight took away a big factor of why I was performing, which is, or it felt like authentic promotion. Like this influential yeah. person loves this product. Now it's like, oh, there's an endorsement deal. So it's still a marketing channel. It's just nowhere near as lucrative as it was. Right. So when Kim Kardashian is promoting something and it literally says it on there. Right. It's just you know, not as effective. It, it's effective still. It's still a marketing channel, which is why it still works. But yeah, it happened, it's just not nearly as effective as it was. And are there any newer um, channels or trends besides TikTok that are emerging that have surprised you? SMS. Um, SMS. I, okay. So text messaging. Yeah. I hate getting Or text. messenger. Yeah. Yeah. I think there too, but I'm, I'm speci speaking specifically to like your cell phone and a text message. Like we actually invested in a platform called Postscript, which has become one of the top partners to uh, Shopify now for SMS. To, and that company's exploding. We're using it a ton. The ROI there is insane. It's literally 10 times as effective as email marketing. 
And mm-hmm. so we saw that coming, which is why we invested. And like now we, we've just, we've built a whole team around it. Like you asked about capabilities. We have an SMS team now because there is a massive opportunity there. And how, is that only for commerce? Like, how does no. that work? Is that no, like, is that you left something in your basket or check this it's out? More or... proactive customer service. So yes, but it's like, hey, we saw you like these shoes. Is it, did you have a question about it? It's like the best way to do it is to engage people and get like the questions out of them. Because if let's say I go to buy a pair of size 11 Nikes, but I don't actually know if that fits somewhere to my Adidas. I may put it in my cart. I look at their sizing chart. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I move on. If they ask like, hey, what's up? Can we answer a question? You go, well, I wear 11 in Adidas. Is that the same in Nike? They can say, yeah, it is. Go for it. And that will that can convert me. So the conversion on it and a little bit of promotion, but more just keeping that conversation going. It's a little more intimate. The open rate on SMS is 98% versus emails about 15%. So mm. it's everybody opens their text, which makes sense. But it's not just about that. The click-through rate on email is about 3%. On SMS is about 30. So huh. that's what I mean by 10 times more effective. You get 10 times as many people to actually click through and go check out your site or whatever link you're trying to get them to. So people are very engaged on SMS. Again, and they're not they're not pissed off that you're messaging it, to them. Often. So they give you your phone, their phone number, like, yes, go ahead, text me. But it's surprising how prominent people are, especially millennials and Gen Z. They're or happy to give it away. Happy to. Because it's the same, it's also the same as email. You text stop, it goes away. Right, right, right. It's not, right and like, you, I've, I've gotten on lists that I didn't ask to be and literally just said stop and it goes away and you're like, oh, this is, it's because there's regulation around it now, it actually benefited marketers because it made me a lot more comfortable to give away my phone number because I know if I say stop and they don't, there's a big fine. Oh, that's interesting. So it, so your, your, your confidence in that channel is increased. Similarly, you, unsubscribe an email so you feel a little more comfortable giving a brand your email address because you know you can always unsubscribe. Same kind of thing. Right. What What about some of these other channels that are, you know, driving the technology that's driving um, remote work right now? Yeah. Which Which is all the AR, VR, and IoT solutions that have really saved the day for a lot of remote workers. Are those becoming marketing channels too? Uh, not yet, because they just haven't built out. Like it's similar. To, like TikTok is a great example of this because they're so much further along and they're still not far enough along. They still you can't track purchases through it. Like there's still a long way to go. Um, we're looking also at speech uh, advertising. Another investment we made was a company called Instramatic that powers a lot of the radio apps, the biggest radio apps in the country. Mm. Their marketing where you can actually talk to the advertisement. So there's like cool technologies like that. But in terms of engagement, like Zoom isn't doing advertising, you know, hey, Google Hangouts, et cetera, which is actually surprising now that I think about it. But um, <laughs> you know, unit to be on Google Hangouts ad when you have all these people doing conference calls. But um, the... Uh, what we're seeing is more those technologies really need to adapt for more engagement because like staring at your screen all day on zoom sucks. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. I'm, I'm finding myself like I work in my kitchen right now what? Yeah. and I'm finding myself like I get a five minute break between calls and I just go sit in the couch for a second. Cause it's like, I can't stare at my screen. Like, yeah. There's a lot of psychological data about, about why, why uh, video calls are so exhausting. Yeah, uh, uh, you know yeah. you're being monitored. So I know, cause like phone calls aren't, I'm used to being on you know 10 hours of phone calls a day. That's never exhausted me, but staring at my screen does. And, um, and I also come from being a ridiculously addicted video gamer. So I had never had a problem playing video games for 15 hours straight, but doing this is definitely exhausting. Well, you know, the print behind you is really cool. 
thank you. It's a gift for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. Now, I, I know that you've gotten married since we last talked yep. and you've had like a whole, you're in a new life stage. Has that new life stage uh, propelled or changed your perspective on marketing at all? You know, because you're in a different phase in your life now. So the messaging that's reaching you is changing. So has that impacted your approach in business? It's so it's yeah. So from a marketing perspective, no, meaning like marketing principles that I've had for years are still there. We're actually I'm actively working on finishing a book around that. So we're going to mm. be pushing the Hawk method, like how we've grown over 2,500 brands and what the yeah. marketing methodology we have. That's actually stayed pretty consistent for most of Hawk, which is in its work. So, but from a business perspective, absolutely. Because what, what's nice is, you know, the only thing that changed through marriage is that everything became much more long term. And meaning like, it's not about like, what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing next month? Now it's like, yeah, in three years, we'll probably have, you know, or I shouldn't say three years, but probably in four or five years, we'll have a couple kids. Maybe we need to start looking at what it'd be to save for a house. I, I, hope, I hope your wife's listening. <laughs> no, no, you know, like, that's we're on the same page with all, we, we're coworkers now. We work in the same space. She hears everything. Yeah. So she, she has, in a two bedroom townhouse. She has, she's literally right above me in the, the mm -hmm. other bedroom. So um, no, we're really on the same page here, but uh, all those things, like it, it, that type of long-term thinking, which I've always tried to have in my business now is even more because like, I don't need to worry about what happened. Like even we talked about this when COVID hit, cause we didn't, we ended up doing well through it, but we didn't know. I was like, as long as we don't like just blow a ton of money and just burn a ton of capital and like lose a ton this year, I'll be stoked. Like if, if oh, well, if I don't make money this year, oh, well, we'll make it next year. Like this is going to be a blip in terms of if we plan on running this for the next 30, 40 years. So right, right. the way we work with clients, the way we think about our business, that that is definitely seeped in where it's like, I'm not, there's nothing, there's, it's, I don't wanna say there's not a rush because I'm still, I love growth and I'm still pushing, but there's not a short-sightedness. It's all about like, how do, you know, we need to push growth now because I wanna, you know, I wanna be a hundred times the size in the next 20 years. So we need to, that takes a lot of movement all the time. But if on a short, short sighted type, like we lose one client or we have a client that we need to help out or front some money or whatever, those kind of things, it becomes blips that actually have greater benefits than, you know, being short sighted about it. So those are the kind of things we try to really be more long term focused on the way we run our business, which a lot of it comes for like my whole life has become more long term focused. We're not planning. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So that's yeah. an interesting parallel. So, all right. So we're in this pandemic and we're also in this huge sort of cultural revolution in the US. So, okay, we know what's happening in your business, but have you seen consumers change in reaction to those things and thereby impacting your client's business? Yep. And, and it's thankfully been a benefit because. Uh, consumer spending other than like on like on consumer product spending did not decline from covid it didn't go it went it's been the same so and, and products you mean like like uh you know deodorant and food and things like that or lingerie bicycles any consumer products they're not seeing a decline luxury saw a slight decline but it just moved to other places so consumer spending aside from like travel and leisure and hospitality didn't decline and a lot of that money went into that other consumer spending and with the PPP and with the stimulus and with unemployment uh, insurance, I think they called it all these different care act things. There's just, a, there's more savings in people's accounts than ever. So consumer spending didn't go away. And that that's key point one. Number two, uh, e-commerce spending versus brick and mortar spending went from 13% market share to 30%. Wow. 
Which makes total sense. Of course, yeah. We're all yeah. stuck at home. We don't want to go to the store and stores are closed. Let's do that. But what that did was anyone in e-commerce, if you just maintain status quo, you double your business. Literally, like the average company doubled from, you know, from that. And so what we saw was the people that pulled back and got scared during this time from a business ownership perspective, they, they dropped a lot. The people that doubled down and went for it skyrocketed. I have a friend whose company went from a $25 million run rate to a $120 million run rate ah. in two months. Like, and what was the category? What was his category? Uh, dental. No kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, okay. So that all, so our world is doing okay on that side. Yeah, of, I mean, of we have business. a plant company that doubled. We have all sorts of like, it, again, some of our best months for lingerie, swimwear. Uh, we manage them. We actually did a case study on this, so I can say it. Diamondback bicycles, which, you know, they cr sold out of everything and their whole portfolio. They have Diamondback, Raleigh, uh, Ghost, a bunch of different brands. They all sold out. Because people are looking for things to do outside or home or it's local. Travel it's budget. local. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the normal number is, but I think it's like a family afford to go to Disneyland's like $10,000 for a week or something like that. So like, you're not doing that this summer. So what else are you going to do? And that money went to all right. these things. And people, right, right. What, what, and then you have the unemployment numbers, which there's always nuance in that. And I think the big takeaway from unemployment is the vast majority of those people were, you know, waiters at restaurants were minimum wage or slightly above workers that unemployment's paying way more than they were making. So yes, there are people in the middle that there, there, is, there are people that are affected, but a lot, the majority of that unemployment that looks like a really scary number is being subsidized by the government. So they, they have more cash to spend than they've ever had. And also now things are reopening in a lot of places. And so they're going back to work and they just got an influx in cash. Again, savings across the border up. They're, they're at a 30 year high right now, people's savings accounts. No, yeah, I mean, I think we're all afraid to spend the money. Um, at least again, uh, spending didn't go down. So like, yeah, that's so bizarre. Happening. Yeah. So, so um, where do you think things are going to go? You know, if we're if we're home for another year, like what what are you gearing up your clients to be prepared for? That's a good thing. I mean, most of our clients hire us to go digital. So digital transformation. Like now, it's just instead of being like we should probably. be looking at this, like there's still, again, 13% of purchases were done online in February, 87% was done in store. Now it's 30%, like it's gone from, we should probably look at that because it's like, you know, could be a good 13%, 15% of our business. Now it's like, oh, we, we have to. And so mm -hmm. we're just, we're the guys that know how to do that, that are set up to do that. So, and we're super nimble. So that's been, again, the big, big benefit here is this is what we're built to do. We know how to do that. We can help companies do it. We're also cost effective. And we can jump in and do that. And then as things shift, because we don't know what's coming, we don't we don't know if we're going to hit phase three or go back to phase one. And like, it's really a guessing game right now. And we're able to pivot with the company as they need to as well. If we need to hold off on things, if we need to double down quickly because things are opening faster, whatever, those are things we're built to do. So if this does last, which some form of this is going to last a year, most likely. That's yeah, yeah. That. So if that's the case, having you know, having things in place so that if we do have to go back on lockdown in the fall or even now, because it's surging in LA. And again, like this is where you look at the data and I watched Gav our governor talk a few times, like testing and new cases are linearly climbing at the same time. Hospitalization has slightly increased, but nowhere near what they're worried about in California, I'm talking about. So it seems like there is actually a more massive correlation between the amount of testing we're doing and the increase in this than actual massive increase in spread. So obviously you got to watch it, but 
those are the things that like you just you we won't know until we know and you have to keep an eye on but there's a good chance that like things are okay and you, you know they toned down opening up bars but everything else is still kind of open again spending still there i do worry about this month ppp ends unemployment benefits end uh there isn't not necessarily another stimulus they're arguing over it right now and we i caught we called this a few months ago the government's not going to do something else until it's too late and they're arguing about it. And then right after it's too late, it's when they're going to do something. So I do believe there's going to be another negative hit to the economy. Um, how bad that's what I don't know. And I think it, hopefully it's slight. Hopefully it only hurts a few people. And I say that not feeling great about those few people, but yeah. I'm very confident that the government acts after the fact and they're not going to like get preemptive here and like, deploy another trillion dollars before there's a problem. That's There's too many politics involved in that. So two more questions for, for you, because you're just a, a, um, a walking trendmeister and you know how much I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been so long since we have talked. So, um, um, uh, so events is how you and I met. Um, yep. and, and you have your own hawk fest, which I loved. I got to go to once or twice and I loved it. Um, but obviously live events are being hindered right now. Yep. Um, at, you know, and I'm taking a lot of my clients into the virtual space. Do you, do you right. think, you know, is, is how imperative is live and how imperative is that event in the marketing funnel yep. for, for brands? Uh, it's uh, absolutely imperative. And I think the, so for, for our own sake, like, so this year we were taking Hawkfest. We had partnered with the city of LA and we're turning it into a full week called the Commerce Week LA. We're still doing it, but it's like the, the first week of October, last week of September, first week of October. Um, and so our plan was to have different events at every different major e-commerce company in LA and have the partners doing stuff. And like this whole, like think New York Fashion Week, but for e-commerce and in LA. So that was the goal. That's not responsible to do right now. So we're doing it virtually. The big thing, and we hosted a conference to try to, you know, you know, try to do something because all I was supposed to be at speaking at a conference a week, March, April, May, June, everything got canceled. And so I'm like, we got to do something because everyone's dealing with this. We threw a thing called the quarantine conference where it was a full day. Great. Um, April 7th too. We moved, like we got it done in three weeks. We had Damon John speak, Anthony Scaramucci, Dan Price, Brandon Webb, all these amazing people. And, uh, we were able to pull it off because they all got to do it from the living room and they were down to, you know, be a part of it. But 10 hours of someone just talking to you on zoom doesn't work. Right, it's like right. a new thing that I think I still haven't figured out the complete solution for it, but I've seen some cool nuances is how do you engage your audience? So they're involved in it. And the, the, the uh, activity side of it is fun. So I've been in a, I'm a member of a bunch of different entrepreneur groups and I've been doing like paint night. We did, was that last? Yeah. Last night, my wife and I did uh, drag queen sangria making where a bunch of drag queens taught us and a bunch of entrepreneur families how to make sangria as we all hung out and chatted. Oh my God. I love that. Did, did, you, did you dress too? Uh, I actually halfway through my wife made me wear a dress. Yes, that happened. Um, it didn't fit though. Cause she's like half my size. So I like just drape it over. It was like, more yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. But, um, no, it was super fun. But I also, we've done, we did pasta making. We did a cooking class with Wolfgang Puck. These are things that like the cooking class with Wolfgang Puck, I think I, I, I would guess would cost 10,000 bucks, honestly, from like what I, with how many people were there, et cetera. It was probably $10,000, maybe a little more. Like mm. uh, for a company that normally spends a hundred grand on going to CES or a million, 10 million, whatever they spend. These are the kind of nuanced things that you can do right now that are engaging. Cause if you're just going to get someone on another webinar where you interview someone and everybody watches, 
that's really old already. But but not like this right now. This is no, good. This but is either- <laughs> I, I truly believe that's where it can be recorded. There's no engagement right. and just record it, let them listen to right. it on the own time. Exactly. If you're going to exactly. do something live, engage, engage. the audience. And that right. doesn't mean, does anyone have questions? Like, sure, that's helpful. But like, it's not enough. You need to right. find ways to truly engage and also allow for serendipity. That's the thing I haven't seen solved yet because most people go to conferences to meet the person standing next to them and go, hey, like, so what do you do? Like, that's a lot, that networking aspect hasn't really been solved on Slack and Zoom in these places yet. Cool. Now, um, just if someone wants to get started with you or wants to reach out to Hawk Media, what's the what's the process? And if they're shy and think maybe I can't afford you or, or like, what's your ideal client at this point if they need to get started? Accessibility is the word. So if we if we if it's not affordability, like we started two thousand bucks a month. So if you you know that's a starting point of a conversation for us. But we're also happy to help companies that can't afford us and try to point them in the right direction. So if don't there shouldn't be any shy, reach out. We're we're here to again we're long term focused. Hopefully we can help you point you in the right direction. In a year or two from now, we can all work together. Or you're going to tell a friend about us. Or worst case scenario, we give you some advice. You're successful. Like. Great. That's awesome. So uh, we're always happy to help. Uh, you can, if you're looking for straight that, you can just go to hawkmedia.com and sign up. But it, I'm also reachable on every social media platform at or slash Eric Huberman. So that's easy. And so, and you're coming out with a, a book, Hawk Media. What's it going to be called? Uh, right now, working title is The Hawk Method, which. The Hawk Method. Yeah. Okay, great. And then any other speaking engagements or anything we should know about that that's coming up? Really just uh, e-commerce week, ecommerceweek.la. Um, I mean, yeah, I have a, I'm speaking on a lot of podcasts and a lot of webinars right now, but I also, that's, we're really starting to double down there. And the goal there is we're going to, similar to taking my own advice, we're going to have panels where it's, you know, basically two hours for a brand. One hour will be talking about something they're really uniquely good at, let's say Dollar Shave Club and marketing or creating a viral video, whatever you want to do there. But then the other hour is going to be some sort of activity. Like we talked about Dollar Shave Club doing shaving lessons you know, something fun that's just like, you know, engages the audience. So we're trying to make like that interaction of fun and networking and learning and all that. And so there's going to be a lot of fun events. It's free. We made, you know, the only thing that you might have to pay for is we may do some events that take some supplies. So, um, but other than that, it's, we're trying to do. I love that. I love when you have to have, you physically have to be doing something with the event. I think that's key. I've I've seen that in distance education with my daughter and that it just takes it to a whole new level. So, uh, we've been talking to Eric Hoverman, um, Hawk Media, the CEO and founder, the outsourced CMO who I have been a fan of for a long time and have been able to interview and panel over the years. And again, uh, you, you look good. (laughs) Thank you. Me too. <laughs> You're like getting younger. I think I'm just staying the same. <laughs> well, it's 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 been great great talking to you. So check out Hawk Media. Follow what Eric is doing. He's so insightful. You have so many interesting um, ideas about where the future of marketing is going. But also you have your finger on the pulse of really new business models and and how brands and how services can reach the right audience right now in a unique on-demand model. So definitely check out what these guys are doing. And um, 30 under 30, are you 40 under 42? Yeah, I've gotten two of those, which okay. was- it's like, let me be 30 for a little while. But yeah, I've got two 40 under 40 awards at this point. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've been 40 under 42. Anyway, so um, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the Tech Cat Show. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your Tech Cat. Great to have you, Eric. By the way, this is only our second show in this new format. So, um, and, and we're doing little 
tastes of these kinds of interviews too, so that we don't you know, kill anybody by interview, but also we, we bring thoughtful leaders like yourself to the public. So um, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us. And everybody will be back in two weeks with another great interview. So come and check out the Tech Cat Show. Um, and we're also on all the different platforms as well. And some new ones that Eric just mentioned, I'm gonna be checking out. Thank you so much, Eric. Thanks everybody. Yeah, Stay safe out there. Be careful. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 